as Mike has been preaching um, from First Peter, this song kept coming to my mind. It's from a long time ago. It's very old. But its message is so solid to what he's been preaching. This is our final message on the book of First Peter today. Um, we're going to wrap it up. We've had a really good study over the past number of weeks. Uh, I think we've had 30 messages on the book of First Peter. And um, so we're going to wrap it up today. And, um, uh, but there's more to be said. Clearly, I cannot cover uh, what Peter had to say because his words were truly inspired by the Lord. And um, very, very good book. Very powerful. But the major themes in this book were three major themes. Separation, submission, and suffering. Separation from the worldly and evil things of this world. In other words, we are to be separated from what the world has for us. And uh, we are to submit to the godly things that God would define every Christ follower's life to have. And then a major theme that we saw throughout all First Peter was the significant suffering of the Christian. I know this is not fun to talk about. And uh, suffering and submission and separation are hard topics because they require quite a bit from us. Quite a bit come from us and the responsibilities that we have in keeping ourselves separate from the world, submitting ourselves to God and His things and His desires for our lives. And then even after we do all that, there's still suffering that is a in a world that's dominated by sin, in a world that is dominated by Satan. Peter reminds us throughout this whole book of several things as a Christ follower. Number one, our relationship with Christ gives us purpose and a heavenly inheritance. Our faith and love for Christ will be tested 
and will be refined through difficulty and suffering, but will, will, but will be rewarded when Jesus returns for those that are faithful. Christians must live holy, set-apart lives from the worldly culture around us. Living a Christian life is a process. It's a growing process. As a growing infant needs the pure milk, and then to move on to uh, meat and progressively harder and more maturing subjects. We also found that Christians are living stones who are being built into a spiritual house. That we are aliens in this world and are just passing through. So we aren't to get so attached, basically, to the things of this world that would distract us from our true home. We are to abstain from the things that war against our soul. And we are to live such godly lives that people would ask, that they would see and ask, what's different about you? What's different about your life? Peter also talked to us about having an understanding that we are to live honorably and humbly in our relationship with the Lord and with all people as we journey through this life. And then finally, the, again, the primary message of 1 Peter concerns ourselves with godly submission and suffering for Christ, following in the example of Jesus Christ. What man, person, suffered and was more submiss submissive and suffered more greatly than Jesus did. No matter what's going on in our life, Peter assures us that as people, all people, are all going through a similar struggle. None of us, we're not alone in this struggle. And I think that's really important for us to recognize that because the enemy would like to isolate us and make us feel like you're the only one struggling. You're the only one that's being wrapped up. You're the only one that's in bondage. The enemy truly wants to make you seem like you're alone and you're hopeless. But that's not at all what this message is about. First Peter was um, all about that we as a body, we as Christians, are going to go through similar things, but all for the purpose of glorifying Christ. We aren't going through this because we're special, that we're unique. We're all going through together, and we're all going to suffer, and at the same time, we will be ultimately rewarded because of the difficulties of, of life, what we're going through. This study has shown how God has continued to show how much, th listen to this one, how much he loves us in the face of continuing suffering. Jesus really loves you. Do you know that? God really loves us. He really does have an, a, a fondness for you and I. And he wants to show it to us in a strange way. <laughs> he wants to show it to us because he tests us in it. And, and many of the tests come through suffering. Our text today is 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 10 through 11. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. What a powerful text. Let's just pray for a minute. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name, and we do humbly submit ourselves unto your hand today. Lord, that we would be a vessel, a tool to be used, that you would allow us to chew on what you would have for us to get nourishment from today, that feed us from your heart, feed us from your soul, feed us from your word, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I know we've been talking a lot about suffering, and it's not a fun subject, but it truly is the mark of a true believer in Christ. Whether you like it or not, Christians are going to go through an unusual amount of suffering, and more so in this world uh, as time goes on. 
as the enemy continues to wrap up his pressures, he's trying to do everything he can to destroy and distract, take us away, take us out of the hand of God. That's what he's trying to do. So you can expect it, and you can know that it's coming. And Peter wasn't the only one to talk about it. In fact, Jesus gave his disciples a great warning. He gave his disciples a heads up on it as well. Turn in your Bible to John chapter 16. John chapter 16, the first five verses. This is Jesus speaking now to his disciples. He said, all this I have told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me. Jesus was concerned about his disciples. He's concerned about us today. He's, more, he's as concerned about us as he was about the men that were walking with him that day. And he wanted to give them a heads up, saying, guys, listen, I'm going away, and when I go away, you're going to be tested. And things are going to come against you. And I'm telling you up front now so that when it does happen, you're not taken by surprise. You're not taken and you're not blown off, off the saddle. You're not knocked out here. And you're going to continue to fight the fight. And then he says in John 16, later in that same chapter, in verses 31 through 33, he says, Do you now believe? Jesus replied, A time is coming and in fact has come when you will be scattered each to your own home. You will leave me all alone. Yet I am not alone for my Father is with me. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So even with this warning, even this, with this foreknowledge of all the disaster and all the tribulation and all the bad stuff that's coming, Jesus is telling you that don't worry about it, guys. I'm here with you. I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm not going to let you walk through this thing. I'm still here. And I'm going to help you get through it. That's the purpose of what we've been studying for for so many weeks. Going back to our text this morning, this says, The God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, uh, firm, and steadfast. We see here that God is, first of all, the God of all grace. If you go back and read that text, he says, I am the God, the God of all grace. Now, what is grace? What is grace? Grace is defined as the free and unmerited favor of God. The free and unmerited favor of God as manifested in the salvation of sinners and the bestowal of all blessings. God gives us grace beyond what we deserve. We don't deserve it. We don't merit it. It's not something that we earn. Grace is the free gift of God, unmerited and undeserved but it results in salvation. It results in something that we can't get on our own. It results in, a, in, in, a, in a, uh, a, an experience of salvation, meaning that God gives us a way out from the, the penalty of the sin that we deserve. God gives us a way out. If we didn't have that way out, if God didn't provide that for us, we would have to pay the penalty of sin ourselves, and that would be death. There's nothing we can do to pay for this penalty. So God gives us grace. But there's more to grace than just receiving the gift of eternal life at the moment of salvation. That's the beauty of grace. Grace is so, so powerful that it goes beyond the moment. It goes beyond just that, that day where I received Christ as my Savior. 
According to a prominent Old Testament word that describes God's grace, it speaks of deliverance from the enemies, the affliction, or the adversity that we face in life. But then it goes on, it also says that it, it denotes enablement, daily guidance, forgiveness, and pres uh, preservation. Those other, that last sentence, enablement, daily guidance, forgiveness, and preservation, those are things that are coming in the future. Grace takes care of our past, but it also provides for our future. It is the thing that gives us the fruit of our life. It is the thing that takes us from, uh, from being a, a, a sinner that is uh, without relationship with God into a relationship with God, and then it enables us and preserves us to have a future relationship with God outside of ourselves. Because we can't be good enough, even after we're saved, we can't be good enough in our own right to have that relationship. So grace stays with us. Grace enables us. Grace empowers us. And, and the, the text says that, that the God of all grace, he, he emphasizes the word all grace, means that he not only saves, but he gives us the future. He enables us to be able to have daily guidance. How many here need daily guidance? How many of us need to know what I need to do today? That's grace. God gives us the grace of daily guidance. He gives us ongoing forgiveness. How many here have never sinned after you got saved? How many here never sinned after you got saved? Anybody here have been through that, never sinned after you got saved? No, God's grace gives us forgiveness after we've been saved as we ask for forgiveness. As we come to God on a daily basis and, ask for, and repent and just come and continue to put our life before him, he gives us grace. He gives us forgiveness. And then he preserves us to the very end. That's the beautiful thing about grace. It doesn't just leave us hanging. We serve a God that is concerned about everything in our life, good and bad. That's the whole point of Peter. And this is the best part, that God takes what the enemy would bring to destroy us, what the enemy would bring to uh, distract us and destroy us, and bring us pain, God will take it and turn it around for our good. As we serve him, and as we, as we give our life to Christ, and as we live under the grace of God, that God's grace turns the enemy's tactics, the, the enemy's strategy around, and actually uses it against him through the power of grace in our life. That's what's beautiful about this thing. We have a great example of how this played out in the life of Joseph. Go back to the, the Old Testament. Go back to Joseph. We all know the story of the Joseph with the, and, and the coat of many colors, how he was um, the youngest, well, uh, Benjamin was younger, but he had uh, 12 older brothers that hated Joseph because Joseph's father had a favorite uh, problem going on here. <laughs> this was kind of a dysfunctional family in some regard, uh, and, and that his father played favorites. And uh, that's not a good thing, by the way. But anyway, um, Joseph was thrown into a pit by his brothers, sold into slavery, and then even when he got into slavery, he was continually um, mistreated. Joseph was pure in his heart. He didn't do anything at all to deserve the uh, abuse and the persecution that he went through. But we know that, story, that, that Joseph, attitude, his attitude, though, preserved him through the grace of God, even though maybe grace wasn't spoken about then, God's grace was still evident in Joseph's life. And God used things that the enemy were you, that was trying to destroy him, his life with. God preserved him. Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. 
Joseph says, you intended, me to, you intended to harm me, speaking to his brothers, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. And here's, the, here's what we can take away from that. I know that we can say, well, that's Joseph talking to his brothers, but at the same time, um, Joseph saw the long-term perspective. He was patient in the process, and he trusted God to bring him through no matter what was happening to him at the time. And I think that I can take that as encouragement today. I think that I can look at that story and I can see that the same God that was with Joseph, the same God is with me and he's with you today. And that what the enemy would come in to bring destruction and all the bad things into my life to destroy me, as though he would bring it to harm me, God would say, no, I'm going to protect you in it all. I'm going to put a hedge about you and I'm going to protect you. God doesn't play favorites. Joseph's father played favorites, but God doesn't play favorites. So if God was the God of all grace for Joseph, then I think we can say that God is the God of all grace for us, that he will protect us just like he protected Joseph, and that he will give um, what the enemy, what his brothers at that time used to destroy him, what the enemy uses to destroy us today, the God of all grace will protect us. But I think the key thing here is that Joseph had a great attitude about all of this. Joseph had the ability to see the long-term perspective. And the question I have is that, am I able to see that long-term perspective? Am I having the same attitude that Joseph had? Because Joseph, you never saw him pout. You never saw him complain. You never saw him grumble. You never saw him blame anybody else for his problems. No, Joseph was a godly man through it all. And I think that's probably the key to the way that, for God's blessing on his life because Joseph didn't ever deflect it. He didn't ever say it was anybody else's problem. He didn't throw anybody under the bus. He didn't go and say Potiphar's wife, it was Potiphar's wife that did the soliciting. No, he just, somehow he saw the perspective. He saw it and he could get through this thing. And I think that if I can have that same attitude, that I think maybe God will work things out in my life too that I really don't have the right to grumble or complain or to blame other people for the issues in my life as well. I'm just going to trust God, and I'm going to expect His grace to be, the all, to be sustaining just like it was for Him. And when I get that, I think now I can start to see the bigger definition of God's grace. I can start to see that God's grace doesn't just put us in the middle of the suffering and then say, see you later, good luck, have a great day, I'll see you in a thousand years. Um, God's grace doesn't leave us hanging with a good luck attitude. Rather, it's the power for us to hang in there and to believe and, and, and not give up regardless of the situation. James, the half-brother of Christ, gave us good instruction in, first, in this chapter, uh, first chapter, beginning at verse 2. He says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. He says that we're to consider it joy when we face trials. That's hard to accept. That's hard to understand. But maybe when I go down to verse 12, I see maybe why. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. Because when, having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. So as I persevere, I'm not doing it for myself. I'm not doing it so that I can get glory. I'm doing it because as I persevere under the, the trial of this world, 
I, my faith is being tested and I am being matured. So that at the end, when, I, when Christ comes back or when he takes me home, that I am being perfected. Not me, but Christ in me is being perfected. That's grace. Grace is with us to the very end, giving us the power and the ability to stay the course. We're so tempted maybe to jump ship, so tempted to go on and off track when things aren't going right, aren't we? So easy to say, man, what did I miss? And find another source that I would trust in. Maybe take me down a path that might seem better. But God's saying, just stay the course. Stay with me. I'm with you here. That's grace. And our text, going back to our text, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while. Interesting thing here is that Peter is talking about two different but yet very real time frames in our life. He called us to his eternal glory after you have suffered a little while. He's talking about eternity and he's talking about the present time. And both of these time frames seem like they will never get here or when you're in the middle of them, they'll never end. As we look at eternity, if we just take the minute and think about the time when we're going to stand before the Lord, either through a corporate rapture or through your death, the reality is hard, most of us have a hard time thinking it's ever going to get here. We just can't even imagine our day of death. We can't imagine of that day when we're going to stand before Christ. And it seems like it's never going to get here. And at the same time, when we're going through a hard time, it seems like, man, this time is never going to end. We have a hard time dealing with time. We either want to wish it away or we can't wait until the next opportunity comes. I can't wait to get through this bad thing or I can't wait until the good thing's coming. We have an issue with time. time we struggle with that. But both of these time frames are used by God. Both of them are used. God uses both of them. Paul, a different writer. This is the power of God's word. Now, if it was just Peter saying all these things, we could see, well, Peter's just on a particular path. But Paul, a different writer at a different time, says something just like this. Turn your Bible, in your Bible, to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. Paul's talking and he says, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles, in other words, the time that the problems are going through right now, today, are achieving for us an eternal glory. There is that eternal aspect, again, that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. There's those two time frames again. The, the, the temporary today that we just can't seem to get through. It seems like it's lasting forever. And then there is the, the eternal thing that we just can't wait to get there. That it's never, it seems like it's never going to get here. So even though the suffering is real, it's not going to last forever. That's the beautiful thing about suffering. It's not going to last forever. The com I like the comment that a past, the pastor and author Max Lucado made. He said, everyone in life is either in the middle of a crisis point in life, just coming through a crisis point in life, or is in the process of getting into a crisis point in life. You're either, just, you're either in the middle of it, you're just coming through one, or you're just coming into one. The reality is crisis points are real. 
And they're, they're the very thing that God uses to strengthen us. Crisis points are something that we can't avoid. Like it or not, they're coming, they're real, they're going to be here. They're unavoidable, and they're all very necessary. A crisis point creates a decision point that forces a person to think about God. A crisis point is a decision point that forces a person to think about God. For some, this may be the first time they really had to consider God in their life and what they were going to do with God and the fact that God really exists. Thank the Lord for crisis points because when we get to a crisis point, as we understand crisis points, we're now beginning to understand the true definition of what a true blessing is because crisis points brings us to an understanding and a realization that God exists, he's got a plan, and what am I going to do with it? Am I going to accept it? Am I going to walk in it? Or am I going to reject it? Crisis points cause us to make a decision. Maybe a new job and a great big raise will be that opportunity to turn your eyes to Christ. Maybe so. Maybe you'll take that blessing as a real opportunity to, 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 to look at Christ and say, thank you, Jesus, for that blessing. Or maybe it might take a loss of a job. Or a sickness, or huge bills to draw your attention to God. Either one of those probably will have the same effect at the end. It doesn't really, long-term, it doesn't make any difference. Eternally, it doesn't make any difference as if it's a, a good blessing or a bad thing. If they turn your eyes to Christ, that's all that matters. That's all that matters is that our eyes are turned on Christ because at the end of the day, come eternity, it really, I won't really worry about was I poor or was I rich? Was I healthy or was I sick? No, all that's really going to matter is where were my eyes? If my eyes were on Christ, that is the thing that's going to give me to my, that's going to get me to my eternal home. So as a result, we do exactly what Paul tells us to do, that we are to fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is, on, what is unseen, because the seen is temporary and the unseen is eternal. The unfortunate thing for many of us, though, I'm included in this, is that sometimes the really good things in life have a tendency to take our eyes off Christ. Sometimes it's those blessings that take me away from Christ. And that's, that's when a blessing becomes a curse. That's when a blessing isn't really what it is intended to happen or, or be. And so I have to remember that I can't, I can't spend my time serving and worshiping the blessing more than the blessor. Because many times we get wrapped up in our own life, don't we? I'm guilty of it. I know what it's like to do that. So today I think that we need to take the time to make sure our eyes are focused. I like Jackie's song, that we are to examine our hearts, that we are to ask the Lord to test us and to make sure that our eyes are focused on Christ so that when we look at the last part of the text, that will actually be the summary of our life as it's kind of the summary of First Peter. He says that God himself will restore you and make you st strong, firm, and steadfast. The God of grace will restore us and he will give us the strength and the firmness and the steadfastness to get through this life. That gives me a lot of encouragement because I can't do this on my own. I can't handle this on my own. I can't think of a better partnership I can't think of a better person to be in partnership with than God.
who is the God of all grace, who is the one that will promise and has promised to walk with me through everything. So Jackie, as you'd come this morning, as we prepare to close today, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after I have suffered a little while, he himself will, do, will restore me and you and make us strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. See, God is a God of finishing. He will finish the work that he begins in us. He doesn't get us halfway started and then get distracted and then go off to the next project. He doesn't get me started and then say, okay, you just continue on your little life over here. I'm going to go work on this guy over here. No, he stays with all of us. He's omniscient. He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He doesn't, he's not limited in any way, shape, or form. So what he's started in your life, he's going to finish. Rest assured, he's going to finish it. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. You're not alone. Jesus will complete the work he began in your life no matter what's going on, no matter what the circumstances are in your life. As long as you hold the course, as long as you don't get distracted and walk off and find another path, he'll be there with you and he'll guide you and he'll keep you. Finally, Romans chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. It says, Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character. And character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. If the God that is saving us for all eternity, if he has the power to maintain me and, and, and sustain me through all eternity, then rest assured he has the power to get you through this moment. If he can handle eternity, he can certainly handle today. So no matter what you're pressing in on, no matter what issues that you're dealing with, no matter if it's a physical thing, a, an emotional thing, a spiritual thing, recognize that our God is stronger than any situation going on in your life today. That we can begin to live this strong, firm, and steadfast life right now. That eternity begins today. We don't have to wait for eternity to get here. It's already here. We just have to see it that way. We see our life problems to separate ourselves from eternity, and we get wrapped up in our lives' problems right now, and we, we get our eyes distracted. But he's saying, no, guys, eternity starts today. You want, you want to be firm and steadfast? Then begin to trust me right now. Begin to live for me right now. Continue in the process right now. It happens Eternity is not something we have to wait for. I'm so thankful for that. I'm so thankful that I don't have to wait for that to happen then. I can walk in it right now. I can walk in it in the midst of all my problems. This is the day that the Lord has made. Rejoice and be glad in it. He has given us victory today. Amen? Amen. He is the source. He's the source of everything eternal. That's amazing. Amen. Father, we just thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, for, uh, for working diligently in our life. We thank you, Lord, for being concerned about our every need. We thank you, Lord, for being concerned about every situation. 
But Lord, I thank you for the crisis points. I thank you for those points where it's forced me to look to you. I thank you for the suffering. I rejoice in it as, t- as James told, told us to do, that we are to take joy, even though it doesn't make sense, even though it's not the obvious thing to do. But Lord, when I recognize that, that suffering produces character and hope and perseverance and all the things that, that you take for my good, and what I do do is I trust you. I trust you with these things. And Lord, I just pray that this message, these messages over the past number of weeks and months, God, would just would come back to us as we need them. And that we truly would be surrounded by your love and your grace. That the grace, your all-powerful grace, would surround us and protect us. Lord, as we go to our homes today, I pray, God, that you'll just bless us and give us your joy and your peace. Give us freedom today. Break every bondage, break every chain. Every bondage is upon us, God. We just surrender it to you. We just give it to you. We just are giving it to you to make something good out of the bad that the enemy would bring. We trust you in it all. And we give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.